Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life, so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel, and ladies, I have a question for you. Are you tired of feeling like you're the one putting in all the effort to make your relationships work? Then go to speakingofpartnership.com right now and click on the big red Tell Me More button and find out how you can get men to do their part. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I'm excited to bring you today's featured guest, Duena Welch. Duena, welcome to the show. Hey, Ken. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, my pleasure. For any of you who don't know Duena yet, Dr. Duena Welch is known for applying social science to people's real-life relationship issues. She's the author of Love Factually, the book, I'm sorry, the first book that uses science rather than opinion to take men and women from before they meet until they decide whether to commit. Now, she's been a professor at universities in Florida, California, and Texas, and she writes for publications like Psychology Today, eHarmony, and others. She also coaches men and women who want more love in their lives via Skype from her office in downtown Eugene, Oregon. Duena, take a minute and fill in any blanks from that intro, and then give us a glimpse into your personal life, if you would. Yeah, sure. Um, Well, thank you for the very kind introduction. Uh, So I basically take best practice social science to help men and women, individual or sometimes in groups, to reach whatever their relationship goals are. For most of my clients, what they want is to find the right partner or to make a decision about where to commit. Um, Sometimes they want really specific help like um, crafting the exact right online profile or figuring out which online presences would be best for them or where to meet people. And other times they're in a really thorny situation where maybe they're dating more than one person, they're having a hard time choosing which one they really want to continue with, if any, or um, they're really stymied by some behaviors of the opposite sex and they want help with that. At any rate, I am married. I've been married for eight years now, and I used all the principles that I help other people with in order to find him. His name is Vic, and he's wonderful, and um, I also have a 14-year-old daughter and uh, had a really great experience yesterday. She goes to the library so much that the librarians save out books for her. You know, she gets them first. And so yesterday in high school, she went to the library on one of her breaks and the librarian said, hey, um, we just got in this book called Love Factually. Have you already read it? And my daughter said, well, I have the proof copy. And the librarian said, well, how can you have the proof copy? Do you know the author or something? (laughs) (laughs) My daughter said, well, yeah, she's my mom. So really made my day. It was really funny. Yeah, that's a rare experience, right? It, I think it's probably the only time I will ever have that experience. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And they're all excited. Look at this new book we got. She's like, yeah, it's a good one. You should you should read it. <laughs> That's cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Well, Duena, what I'd love to start with is one of the things I found can be really helpful in partnership is having, I call it a guiding principle, but it may be a quote or a mantra, but something that is kind of a touchstone that, that can bring you back on course when you get off in the weeds. And I'm wondering, what do you use kind of as a guiding principle and, and how do you feel it can help our, our listeners with their partnerships? I'm so glad you asked this question, Ken. 
So my guiding principle is the summation of over 45 years of excellent social science. It's kind of a one-sentence summary of it, and that sentence is, if you can find and be someone kind and respectful, your love life will go great, and if you can't, it won't. Boom. That's pretty straight and to the point. Yeah, it really uh, surprised me when I started looking into relationship science of how relationships go forward happily. You know, before you make a commitment, a lot of it is about how similar you are. After you make the commitment, a lot of it is about how kind and respectful you are. Because no matter how similar you are, if you can't treat your partner well when you've had a bad day, uh, or if you speak ill of others every chance you get, your partnership is going to degrade and deteriorate, and it's not going to be a life that's worth living together. Yeah. Yeah, you, you just reminded me, there's a saying that um, one of my, my dear friends and mentors, Alison Armstrong, says, which is relationships sink from the holes that are in them from the beginning. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, actually. I wish I'd said that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can say it whenever you like. I, uh, I think I will from now on. <laughs> but it, it's we don't think about it, right? Because we, we kind of, we want what we see on the other side. Oh, this would be so great. And then we dismiss the the things that are right there in front of us, the proverbial red flag. So that's a great, great mantra. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thanks. You know, I've found, I've been hearing a lot from uh, people who've been abused who've said that that quote has helped them a lot because they realized mm. that their um, now ex-abusive partner had talked and, and behaved badly toward others from the beginning but was pretty nice to them. And they realized, you know, this person wasn't kind and respectful. They were just putting on a show for me. But if I'd really looked at their behavior across lots of situations, I would have seen that from the very beginning they were unkind and disrespectful when they didn't get what they wanted and that that was never going to work. Mm. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good point. We, we need to pay attention to the full picture, not just the microcosm that's when we're together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, tell you what, Duana, um, one of the things that our, our listeners love about this show is is our guests are so generous with their stories of their personal experiences and partnership. And what I'd love to do right now is if you would take us to a time in your life when you kind of tripped up in a partnership and, and just tell us that story. You know, what were you doing? What did you trip on? And, and then what did you learn from that experience that helped you move forward? Oh, just one. <laughs> you know. One for today. Yeah, one for today. Uh, I have so very many. I will tell you that the biggest problem I had was, one of my readers said a lot better than I have. She said, my picker was broken. That's what she said about herself. But it, was, <laughs> it was true about me. My picker was broken. Let me I, guess. Was this a client in Texas? I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I just think it's just terrific. And yeah, my picker was broken. Can really The issue that I had most often was that I would get stars in my eyes for someone where there was a deal breaker from the outset, but I didn't want to look too closely at that. And I would get pretty deeply involved and then figure it out. And by that time, it absolutely ripped my heart apart to have to leave. And so uh, one of the times when I tripped up, um, oh, I was dating this man who just seemed to have it all. Um, I, I'm going to anonymize him a little bit, but to give your listeners an idea he was the proverbial tall, dark, handsome, rich, well-educated, well-spoken, funny, well-connected, generous, sexy guy. He was the whole enchilada. 
And um, he told me on our second date that he had told his mother that I was the woman he was going to marry. And I had been kind of uh, holding his, him at arm's length a little bit because he just seemed too good to be true. And because I was so incredibly attracted to him, I mean, you know, the only way that man could have been more attractive is if he showed up in a Stephanie Myers novel uh, with sparkly skin and vampire teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, he had even run for an office. He was, he was very smooth. But that's part of what I didn't trust. It turns out that uh, charm that's overwhelming can be a red flag. But I guess he was used to women having sex with him on the first date, and I didn't do that. I sent him home with just a kiss after our first date, and then on our second date, he told me that he had already told his mother that we were going to get married, and then he told me he loved me, and here's what my gut said. Take it slow. This, this, he's pressing for something, and this may not be real. And um, I, don't, I didn't listen to my gut for long enough. That was my big, big mistake. It turns out there's science on the brain and on where our intuition comes from. It comes from the right side of the brain. Uh, it, especially in areas where we have a lot of experience, which in my case would be dating, or in areas where um, areas where it would possibly save our life, such as dating. For many women, that would be dating. Our gut or our intuition tends to be somewhat directive, but the question is whether we heed it. And I, I didn't heed it. And so although he never physically threatened me, um, I wound up very emotionally injured. What happened is he was pushing for more and more closeness, and I was not feeling particularly safe to give it. And the moment, basically, that I told him I loved him and I let him meet my child, because I was a single mother at the time, that moment things changed for him and he backed off and I remember on that date he said this doesn't have to go anywhere does it hmm. but see by then I was in love with him mm -hmm. and I had exposed all of my vulnerability by letting him meet my child which he'd been begging to do for a while and it was really heartbreaking for me I'll tell you what I did that was right in that moment instead of doing what I would have done in the past which was allowing this relationship to drag on and spending more and more time with him in the hopes that he would come back to me and, you know, live up to what he had said he was offering and promising. I got really honest with myself and clear with myself that he was going to play with me possibly for months or years and that this was not going to be good for me and by extension not good for my child. Because as they say, if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. If I wasn't happy, my little girl wasn't going to be happy. Mm -hmm. And so I let him take me home that night, and I didn't feel like having the big conversation that evening, but uh, I dropped, he dropped me off, and he called me a couple days later to get together again, and I said, you know, I don't think I want to see you anymore. And this, you know, this would have been his opportunity if he had just had a bad moment to say, oh my God, this is terrible. <laughs> I want you more than anything. But he let it go. He would call me now and then to get together and it was clear he was just trying to basically to 
have a hookup, and I never went for it again. And uh, ultimately, he married a woman without children. And what was happening was he ha- wasn't being honest with himself. He wanted a partner without kids. Mm-hmm. And so he was telling himself one thing, but really it wasn't true for him. And I think that is an issue that touches a lot of people is sometimes we get involved with people who aren't, not only are we sometimes not honest with ourselves, but if they're not honest with themselves, it can really lead to heartbreak. Yeah, well, that's a great story. Thank you for sharing it. Sure. So, Duena, what I'd like to do now is is take a little different approach to, it's kind of a similar standpoint, but what I'm looking for is if you would share a story of a time where you had, I call it a duh moment. It's one of those things where you're just like, seriously, how, how have I missed this? How have I been such a knucklehead? And what I'd like you to do is tell us the story and then tell us what you were able to do with that what you learned in that wake-up moment to create a building block for future partnerships. Sure. This is a really personal story, and I've never told it to anyone before. Um, I'm kind of questioning whether I should tell it now. <laughs> so when I was in graduate school, I this is really personal. I had gotten started on having a sexual partnership pretty late in life. I, I was in my 20s before I ever did that, and... I, the man I was involved with was someone I had known my whole life. We were kids together. And we got sexually involved after we got secretly engaged or about the same time. And then he gave my ring to another person. Mm. And uh, this was pretty crushing for me, obviously. I mean, my mother had taught this guy fifth grade. And it was a huge break in my trust, but also it was a break in my trust not only of him but of myself because I felt like if I could think I knew him that well and not know him at all, then what was going on with me and what was going on with my gut. And moreover, um, the sexual relationship we had, he really hadn't taken very good care of me and I I hadn't had any other partners, but I, I knew that much. And so... Uh, I decided that what I was going to do was um, basically, since I had been involved with this guy for years and the sex had had not happened for so long, that I was going to take the opposite approach. If a guy was going to be a cad right after sex, which is pretty much what this had happened here, I was going to have sex right away. And then if a guy was going to be a cad about it, I would know right away. And so I had a couple years where that's what I did. And... My dull moment was when I realized, I, I, was in, I was actually reading some research on relationship science, and I realized that I was doing the exact thing that tells men not to take me seriously. And I know it's politically incorrect to say so, but I'm telling you, Ken, there's science in 37 countries and nations, including our own, that shows that most men, upon encountering a woman who will have sex with them right away, think she uh, is either mentally unstable or she's so sex- sexually indiscriminate that he can't afford to invest in her. She might sleep around while he's with her, is the thinking. And so, you know, whether or not those things are actually true, if men think they are true, there's an element of penalty that women pay. And that was my big dumb moment was that the reason it looked to me like these guys were schmucks was that I was doing the thing that told them that I wasn't worth investing in, that probably my first experience had been a fluke, but these subsequent experiences, I couldn't have planned them better. And um, so for future partnerships, what I did was I waited to get sexually involved 
until I felt that a man was deeply invested in me. And part of the investment I looked for was how did he treat me sexually when we were involved in ways that weren't intercourse? It's funny because I have clients who say, well, if I wait to get sexually fully involved until the guy has shown that he loves me, said he loves me, asked to be exclusive, if I wait to that point, then what if the sex doesn't work out? You know, there's research showing that most of the time you can tell from a kiss whether those kinds of things are going to work out. I mean, you really don't have to get all the way naked with penile vaginal intercourse to figure out whether this person is going to try to figure you out and try to make you happy. And that was my big duh or what I would call an aha moment was um, I can wait to be seriously involved with someone and for him to be seriously involved with me and for us to value each other and I can still have a really satisfying sexual relationship. I can value myself and be valued and that can extend all the way to the bedroom. Thank you for sharing that. I know you said that was the first time you've spoken of it, and, and I appreciate that because I think it's incredibly valuable for people to understand that sometimes where we have one experience, like the experience you had, and then we decide that must be the rule. And so we start operating as if it's the rule when the reality is it could have been the anomaly. Yeah, I never had an experience like that again. I mean, I just had a really bad experience right out the gate. Yeah. I just did. And uh, I made an inappropriate, I drew an inappropriate and wrong conclusion from that experience. And it's easy to see how I could do that. That's what I really love about relationship science. It tells us what works for most people most of the time so we can hedge our behavior in the direction of success. Yes. And there's always exceptions, but at least you have a body of work to come from, a body of knowledge. And I think that's super, super valuable. So thank you again for sharing that. Yeah, thanks. Now, what I'd love to do, Duana, is, is kind of shift gears. And what I want to ask you to do is share a story of one of your proudest moments in partnership. And, and it could be romantic, family, career, you name it. But what I'm wondering is, what's a, a partnership moment that when you think about it, you can't help but smile? My two closest relationships are with my husband and my daughter. And a third very, very close relationship is with my mom. Um, one of the proudest partnership moments I have, I'm going to stick with my husband on this one. About a year ago, the state of Texas decided that they were going to vote, not the whole state, but the legislature was going to vote to allow firearms into college classrooms. That is, faculty and students with a concealed handgun license could carry into college classrooms, dormitories, etc. And uh, I've been a college professor for a long, long time, and I actually had the best job of my life in, in terms of how much I enjoyed it at Austin Community College. I've, I've taught, as you said, in Florida and California and uh, Texas, but the, the job that I liked best was teaching at Austin Community College. I loved it so much that I actually had my will redrawn to include them in a bequest at my death. Hmm. And uh, I pretty much was told I had a lifetime position there. I was very, very close to my students, and I know this isn't about my husband, but eventually it is. What happened is when the state made that decision, I went to my husband and I said, I just, I'm a conscientious objector. I, the, the state issuing this statement and not allowing me to say, no, in my classroom, we're not going to do it that way. I mean, it was illegal for me to say that we weren't going to have guns in my classroom. 
for the state to do that was a fundamental shift in the nurturing relationship that I had with my students. Now they would wonder if I was carrying a gun, I would wonder if they were carrying guns. This was no longer uh, a nurturant place. And I had taken an 80% pay cut to leave the corporate world and come back to professing a few years before that. So I wasn't there for the money. I was there for the love. I was there for the love of education and the love of my students and the love of seeing them develop into what they could be. And uh, so I said to my husband, I just, I can't do this anymore. Can you support me in this? And he said, I can do better than support you in this. Let's move to a state where you might be able to teach again. And so a year ago, almost exactly, we made the decision that we were going to leave the state where seven generations of my family had been born and raised. And we were going to move somewhere else. And we picked Eugene, Oregon, and I do love it here. But uh, that is a really proud partnership moment um, because it really showed that he was fully on my team. I didn't have any doubts before that. But I was a little worried even then that he would get here and he would be really unhappy because he had been in Austin for 30 years. We had only been married for seven years at that time. And I had only lived with him since we'd gotten married, but he had been in Austin for 30 years. And he had lots of deep ties. He was very politically involved in Austin. He had a lot of friends. He had a group of guys he went out with every Wednesday night. Um, you know, he was one of the leaders in our neighborhood. It, this was home for him. And I just thought, what if I get him all the way out to Oregon and he's unhappy? And you know what he did? He made a life for himself. He's on five boards now. He is uh, at a very famous center for animals called the Cascades Raptor Center. And he's happier and busier here than he ever was before. He made that happen, and he did that for him, but he also did it for our partnership. And I think that it's just a really strong statement of where we are. That is very, very cool. And I, I have to tell you, as soon as you said what he said to you about moving, mm -hmm. I got the biggest smile on my face because it's like that's him being your hero. He is my hero uh, in so many ways. I mean, I could have picked a lot of different moments to share with you. That's just one that I've shared. And I've definitely tried to um, step up to his level of commitment and heroism in our relationship. But really, when people ask why my marriage goes so well, a lot of times the truest answer is I picked the best man in the world. <laughs> there you and go. And he's continued to be the best man in the world. My picker was finally not broken. There you go. The picker's in good shape now. I like that. <laughs> Excellent. Well, what I'd love to have you do now, because we've talked a lot about past experiences in partnership, and, and I'd like to bring our conversation into the present by asking you to share a story of one of the partnerships that's really exciting in your life right now. Sure. Uh, well, the partnership that's most exciting in my life right now is the partnership with my husband. Um, I just get the feeling that there's nothing we can't do together. I have taken, my life has taken so many directions as a direct consequence of being married to him, not just being his girlfriend, but, but being married to him. For example, when we first got married, I was working for a public relations firm. I was the president of a PR firm called Penman PR in Austin. And while I really liked the people I was working with and I liked my clients, I didn't get a lot of meaning from that position. What I'd really enjoyed was being a professor. And my then new husband said, 
uh, do you really like PR? And I said, well, you know, it pays really well. And when I was a single parent, that's what I really needed. And he said, well, what do you really love? And I said, university teaching, college teaching. I, <laughs> I went to, you know, four years of undergraduate and seven years of graduate school. <laughs> so I didn't do that accidentally. I, I really wanted to be a college professor and I really missed it. And he said, well, why don't you do that again? And I said, well, because now we're in Austin and I'm not particularly competitive because I'm not willing to move. As with so many careers, if you're willing to move, you're much more marketable. And that's doubly true in academics. So I wasn't willing to move. I said, I'm willing to move anywhere in the world as long as it's Austin, Texas, which kind of hobbles my options. And he said, so what would be the best case in Austin? I said, well, probably best case in Austin would be I'd be teaching part-time at one of the local colleges, which I said would make me very happy. It would give me time to pursue some other things I've always wanted to do. But it would mean probably an 80% pay cut. We consider you've got $10 on the table. Now take eight of them away. You get to keep two. That's the kind of pay cut we're talking about. And he said, do it. And I said, are you serious? And he said, absolutely. So I cold called universities around Austin. And what I re- where I really wanted to work was the community college. And I cold called the leadership and set up meetings. And a few months later, I started teaching my first classes there and just loved it. And so that was really exciting at the time. And what's happened since then that that's exciting now is that Vic has really supported, um, actually, he kind of made happen my career writing about relationship science. I used relationship science to find him. And I used relationship science to guide my own behavior and help me with the commitment process and all of it. And he knew about that. And he kept saying after we married, you know, nobody else knows this. You really need to share this with the world. You need to write a book. And he comes from a family that is a business family. I come from a family of educators. And so this seemed very risky to me. It seemed very unsafe to It also seemed very um, arrogant for me to think that I had some perspective that was so important that it should be put in a book. Um, I don't come from people who tend to think about themselves as people who that that others should listen to, I guess, other than in a classroom setting. And so um, he just kind of worked on me over time and said, you know, nobody else knows this. I did point out to him that actually a lot of other people know this science, namely the scientists themselves. And he said, yes, but, uh, you know, I don't see people beating a path over to read the academic journals. <laughs> he, said, he, there, he said, if people wanted to read the academic journals, they'd be reading them. People need just a book that's everyday language, telling them like it is with references in the back instead of it reading like a science book. They need this. You're good at talking about this. He said, have you ever noticed when somebody tells you about a relationship issue, the next statement out of your mouth well, you, is, well, you know, there was a study on that. <laughs> and he was right. And so first I started a blog and eventually that turned into a book and um, it's turning into other books. And, and so the partnership that I have with him is so exciting because it's allowed me to stop focusing on finding or having the right relationship and has become a springboard to this whole contact that I have with the world and my way of being in the world. What's my point of uniqueness to give the world? And science shows that good partnerships do that for you. They allow you to stop focusing on your feelings of security or insecurity and they allow you to work from a bedrock of secure relating so that you can spring out into the world and live uh, the best life you can live. Thank you. 
I think that's one of the things we miss, right? We, 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 we miss the fact that you'll know when you have that partnership because it creates that, that foundation like you're talking about. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You know, um, a lot of people mistakenly believe that relationships are supposed to be hard, that we're supposed to work on our issues in relationships. Life brings up plenty of issues without you having to have any in your relationship. There will be so many challenges that life simply throws at you, situations that you have to cope with whether you want to or not. You Ideally, science shows that what you want is a partnership that is a port in the storm. It's not one more storm. Yeah, that's I, I like that. I like that a lot because, I mean, like you said, they're going to show up, whether it's from life or wherever, and maybe the reason you're able to address them when you're in a partnership is because you have the partnership that makes you feel that much more secure and strong to go, I'm ready to face this now. Yeah, the right partnership brings you to your better self. My husband and I are both doing things we would never have taken beyond the dream stage. And things, in fact, we might never have even dreamed of doing if we weren't together. Constantly telling the other, yeah, go for it. So many people think in a mistaken way that relationships make you less free. When you find the right person, you are free in them because you're free from wondering, first of all, who you're going to be with on Friday night. You're free from wondering who you're going to be sleeping with tonight. You're free from wondering, do I have to share? I mean, think about it. You know, when you're dating or especially when you're single and you're not dating, if you have any hope of getting any action, sexual or otherwise, you got to shave something, you got to wash something, you got to go somewhere. When you have the right partnership, you're set free of a million tasks and you really have this springboard into a better life, not just with that partner, but a better life in general. It's just fantastic. Yeah, and, and, and just to clarify, Dwayne, I'm, I'm sure you're not saying that once you get in a partnership that personal hygiene goes out the window, uh, <laughs> but I understand your point, and I think that's a great one. Um, yeah, yeah, well, you know, it, when you're, when you're let, let me put it another way, when you're single, you have to constantly be on point, and it's exhausting. When, when you're happily married, I, and I know that some of you are going to think it's awful for me to say so, but it does not feel awful in the moment. When you're happily married, you see through the sweat of this afternoon's mowing to your beloved. And, you know, if they just showed up at a bar looking like that, probably you're not going to be into it. <laughs> yeah. But yes, you still shower. But what I'm saying is there's you can relax into the security, safety, and desire of knowing that you are loved instead of wondering when you will be or if you will be. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to say it. Well, Duena, we have actually arrived at a part of the show I call Bring It All Home. And this is where we step away from the stories. And I ask you to provide simple, concrete guidance for our listeners that they can apply in their relationships right now. Where I'd like to start is what would you say is the best either partnership or relationship advice you have ever received? Turn toward your partner rather than away. When your partner asks for your attention, your attention, give it to them. If they walk into the room, raise your eyes from your screen and make eye contact with them. If they open their arms for a hug, give it, even if you're upset. Turn towards your partner rather than away. It is actually what happens in the small moments of partnership that creates the overall feeling. It's not what happens at the big Hawaiian vacation, but what happened in the kitchen this morning. Thank you. Thank you. I love that. So then let me ask you this. What, what would you say is 
a book or a resource that you would recommend to listeners and why that particular one? And I'm going to dismiss yours because we already know yours is amazing. <laughs> outside of yours, what else would you add in there? Yeah, if you if you haven't yet picked a partner, I would say mine because it's the only one that uses a scientific basis for all that stuff start to finish. But if you already have a partnership and you're committed to it, you're married or you are engaged, I really strongly recommend Dr. John Gottman's book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. Dr. Gottman is the only person who has used science start to finish to help people once they are married to find their way to being part of a really happy couplehood. Yes. Yeah, they do some amazing work there at the Gottman Institute. Yes. He's really the platinum standard of science of long-term relating. Excellent. The, the thing I'd like you to leave our listeners with then, and, and you've given us some examples, and I'd like to see if we have just one more in the bag here. What's an example of what I call the payoff of partnership? In other words, something specific you were able to do or create or experience solely because you were in partnership. Well, yeah, I've given so many examples already. I mean, um, I was able to create a blog and a book and return to my real passion, which was teaching. I was then able to leave that that career when it was unconscionable to me to remain in that geographic location with that political system and move to a place that I really love and, and build a new life with someone all because of the payoff of, of my partnership, of choosing someone who was kind and respectful, who we developed such closeness over a period of years that we've been able to support each other in all of our dreams. Um, you know, I, I just think I've already given so many examples. My example of um, encouraging him to go to Africa, uh, to Kenya specifically, and more recently encouraging him to be very politically involved in our new community. He is uh, the chair of something like four or five boards now, and none of these positions are paid, and they take him away from home a lot more than he's ever been away from home before. He's usually only home a, a couple full evenings a week now, whereas it used to be almost all of them. And... Um, that's just an example where because we're so close and because we support each other's dreams, he is more free rather than less to live his life. Fantastic. Well, it's clear to me, and I'm sure it's clear to our listeners, that you have an unbelievable wealth of information available. And, and what I'd love for you to do is share with our, our listeners how can they contact you and learn more about what you do. Sure. Well, they if they want to go directly to the book, they can go to Amazon and look up Love Factually with an F. It's Love Factually, 10 Proven Steps from I Wished I Do. And it's there in audio, ebook, and paperback. And you can get a lot of other places, too. Um, but uh, if you want to contact me directly, you can reach me at Duana, that's D-U-A-N-A, at lovesciencemedia.com. Or if you just want an overview of all my work, interviews, articles, stuff I've been up to, uh, stories, you can go to lovesciencemedia.com and you can get an overview of all of it. Fantastic. And all those links will be on the website, on the Speaking of Partnership website. So you just need to find the show page for Duena. Just to simply type in D-U-A-N-A and it'll come right up and you'll have the links there. So if you didn't get a chance to jot those down as she shared them, they're available for you very easily. Well, yeah. Dwayne, and, and, you know, Ken, I want to just quickly say I answer every letter that I receive. So if somebody has a question about their intimate relationship, I will always give my 
best to answer it. And if I need to refer them to another resource, which I frequently do, uh, depending on the nature of their question, I'll be happy to do that. There you go, folks. That's very generous. Thank you, Joanna. Thank you. Well, I can't say enough about the, your generosity as far as what you were sharing with us and, and your transparency and sharing things you hadn't even shared before. And, and thank you so incredibly much for being on the show today, Joanna. I really enjoyed it, Ken. I hope everybody listening has enjoyed it. And thanks for the honor of inviting me. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. I release a brand new episode every Monday through Friday. So make sure you don't miss a single show. Go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher and iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else, either in person or on the web. Have a great day, and remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.